Welcome to the Work Revolution podcast, where we believe, in fact, we know, there's a better way to work and live. And we are here to challenge the status quo of obsolete workplace practices and ideas about leadership. I'm Lisa. And I'm Deborah. Along with you, our listeners, we're evolving our thinking about what it means to belong, innovate, and create change at work. Join us as we dispel the myths of meritocracy, hierarchy, and other bullshit practices that get in the way of all of us harnessing our full potential to make a better world. Welcome back to our listeners. And Deborah, how's it going today? Pretty good, actually. It's a nice sunny day. We've gone through a bout of gray and rain, and that was affecting my well-being. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Things are going well, though. How about you? Things are going good. For those of us who are in Canada, it's a bit of a weird winter so far. It still feels like fall. So hopefully for those who like to ski, some of that fluffy snow will shortly be on its way. So we have quite an interesting topic we're going to be doing today. And it kind of piggybacks on the first episode we did in season two, in which we talked about Deanna Troy, who is a character in Star Trek Next Generation. And we talked about her in terms of organizations, because we wondered if having a chief wisdom officer in an organization would be a role that would emerge as kind of people issues are percolating across organizations. We've seen different facets of culture start coming into organizations. So issues around race, equity, those kinds of things, and who needs to deal with this, and is HR in the right role? And we thought we would obliquely build on that episode by talking today about different and or new roles that are either in the C-suite, so the chief officer, the chief suite, so under the CEO, reporting directly to the CEO, or that we're reading about. And some of these roles, I'll just rattle off a few of them that we're going to be touching on. So chief culture officer, chief wellness officer, chief remote officer. And so the traditional roles in HR, for those of you who work in large organizations, you've probably seen them. We have the chief financial officer, a chief technology officer, maybe a chief operations officer, maybe a legal counsel that could be the chief legal officer. But these are roles that we're hearing about and that we're seeing some organizations recruit for. And we're going to be talking today about What are these roles? What kinds of needs are they addressing? And are they being set up to succeed in those organizations who bring them on? So Deborah, I'm going to throw this to you. What are you seeing and where would you like to take us to start this conversation? It's interesting. I did a quick search just on LinkedIn under chief wellness officer, because that's one in particular, a title that we've seen come up in some articles recently. And I found one person with that title. Now, other people came up in the search because maybe they were working in a wellness organization or something like that. So it's interesting to me that we're seeing this written about. I don't know that, although we have, and I think you probably have some of those articles sort of more handy, but certainly there are organizations we've read about, some of the more larger consulting firms, I think, that have designated someone in this type of role. To me, what all of this is an indication of is that there's something missing in the C-suite. And so we have, to your point, it's well covered. The finance, the accounting, we've got lots of resources dedicated to it. We've got lots of talent dedicated to it. 
the CEO is generally very plugged into that aspect of the business. In fact, probably comes from that area of the business. I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but I have seen it before. What is the path to the CEO? The path to the CEO chair is not usually through anything to do with people, culture, human resources. The path to that role is through sales, operations, finance, usually maybe technology. To me, it lends itself to this idea that I have that I still believe that we really, those things are important, but they're overvalued and we are undervaluing the people aspect. People still run your business and HR has been, I don't know what the right word is, Lisa, help me out. But I mean, there's just something that HR is not doing for organizations. It's become too transactional. And the way I think of it is they just don't have the teeth. They still don't have the gravitas, the respect, the influence at the senior level in a lot of organizations that they're able to influence the decision-making. And now what we're seeing, because now we're in a time where, for example, well-being is a really big concern. And I can talk a little bit about why and what some of that the evidence is to that. I mean, Gallup, for example, has done a lot of research on well-being and thriving, and those numbers are going down. There's a 15-year trend now that people are not doing as well. And organizations, I think, are starting to realize that we need to do something here, but what is it going to be? And we need to do it at the top of the organization. It needs to be something that is happening at the most senior level of the organization. Yeah, I completely agree with your assessment that there's a gap. Some of these roles were trending prior to the pandemic because organizations are trying to figure out what success looked like in the so-called future of work. What are we going to need as an organization in order to thrive in this unknown future? And so there were aspects of employee well-being that were starting to be talked about, particularly in high-demand, high-stress jobs, healthcare, for instance. You would start to see more of these roles of people who are burning out at high rates and then enter the pandemic And a lot of these trends were accelerated around what people needed to thrive in work from home situations. It's not that long ago where people were kind of in a panic about what did this mean with the pandemic when it came to work. Some, we talked about essential workers. In some ways, it seems like the distant past, but it's actually literally behind us in our shadows. And so when I think about what organizations, oh my goodness, I sigh the biggest size I can sigh. We have known for so long that people, need to be supported. Like we're relying on people's emotions and brain power in the workplace now. We're evolving from we were in the industrial age, we were evolved into the information age. Now we're far more into a social age where people need the relationships around them. They need the support for the kinds of work they're doing. Our brains need good environments in order to thrive and have good relationships. And so some of these roles, I think, are partly coming online to address this. And I do want to say something that makes me a little cranky to start off with. There are roles that are sort of could be appearing as new roles at the C-suite that are basically, what do they call that? Like mutton dressed as lamb? That's an offensive term (laughs) anymore. The idea that we're going to turn our chief HR officer is now the officer or the chief people and culture officer or the chief talent officer or the chief culture officer. And meanwhile, they're doing the same things they did before. You talked about HR, largely transactional. 
are people doing their performance reviews? Are we getting rid of the poor performers? Are we making sure people's pay and benefits is aligned with the market? All that stuff that is a bit cut and dried. But we've known for a long time that people do need a kind of support that we haven't seen in organizations. And I'm happy that the pandemic has accelerated some of the need for this, but I'm concerned at the same time that this is not being done with a depth of sincerity. I think that organizations actually need to do. I think the profit motive is still number one in many organizations. And I'm not entirely sure if these roles are going to have the teeth, so to speak, to really have an influence on the culture and to take care of people's brains. Yes. And I think that's exactly it is, is if you're going to have this role, it needs to have the teeth. What's a better way to say the teeth? It needs to, again, the head decision maker has to listen. I see, I'll try to describe this. I don't know if I'm going to do a good job, but the directional arrow needs to change. So as opposed to the CEO is saying, here's what I want to have happen And that chief wisdom officer or the chief wellness officer, whoever it is, has to go make it happen. So an example would be, I've heard this a couple of times recently, head of HR, the CEO wants people back in the office. It's my job to make that happen and convince people that this is a good idea, convince the employee base that there's good reason to want to be in the office, as opposed to educating the CEO. This is what I mean by the arrow needs to change. The arrow needs to go up to saying, this is what the best practices are. This is what the research is showing us. This is what organizations that are doing new and creative things and having success, this is what those organizations are doing. This is what we're hearing from our employee base. This is what our actual employees are telling us that they need in order to thrive. So do we need to then think a bit outside the box, to use a phrase that's overused and I don't like, but Do we need to start getting a little bit creative and thinking about new ways to work? Do we need to relook at our workplace practices to find problematic areas and think about how we can change them? And it's going to require a new way of thinking about things. It's going to require a lot of openness, a willingness to listen and to rethink about how we work. I'm very optimistic. I see this as totally doable. It just takes a shift. And I think as we see generational shifting in leadership, we will start to see this. I just feel like there is a need to accelerate it a little bit because we're seeing so much social change. And I can speak to a little bit about why employee wellness, paying attention to that specifically is important, but I don't know, where do you want to take us next, Lisa? Let's come back to that in a moment because I do want to dig into that. I find it fascinating. And I've stolen this line from you and used it indiscriminately behind your back when you once said to me that our leaders science deniers, our leaders data deniers, because there is so much evidence. We can pull stats from, you want to look at Gallup stats on employee engagement. You want to look at the thing that influences employees' behavior the most in the workplace. And it typically is reporting to a supportive or non-supportive boss is going to change how you approach your job. We know all of this stuff. And the resistance to this, as exemplified in what you just said about the CEO wants everybody to come back to work. Well, is your business in the business of people being in an office or is your business in the business of creating a service or product and that the people who do it or support have the ability to do their best work, regardless of whether they're in their pajamas on their sofa 
or sitting in some uncomfortable clothes in an office in an open concept where they can't concentrate. So I just find this preposterous idea of leaders know best or senior leaders know best. And by the way, not all leaders, many are open-minded and are creating environments for people to grow and thrive. But this is a point that is bewildering to me. And I love seeing the research that's coming out about the four-day work week. And you interviewed recently Andrew Barnes on this topic where people are working one day less, they're getting the same salary and their productivity is going up anywhere from seven to 25%. So this is good news for business. And yet somehow people are seen as slackers because they're not working a full week. Again, like the data is saying all these great things about nurturing people. And yet the practices have been really slow to follow. Before we talk about wellness, I did want to touch a bit on this role that I've been seeing now that organizations are in hybrid or remote mode. And they're calling this the chief remote officer. What I find fascinating about this role is that it really bridges many different aspects of the current C-suite. It touches on technology. Do people have the technology to work properly from home to participate, whether it's through channels like Slack or sort of written communications? Do they have the proper technology and updates around video communication? Do they understand how to participate in a video? remember all this stuff where people are still doing it like, hey, you're on mute or telling people to raise a hand before. So learning how to use technology. So the chief remote officer is a bit in that business, but they're also in the business of culture, regardless of what their title is. They're actually part of their role is to help people feel a sense of belonging in the organization. Some of the most interesting data coming to me, because I really am passionate about organizational culture, is that remote workers feel closer to the organizational culture than people who come into the office. Fascinating. I'm going to put the link in our show notes. Another responsibility, finding people through synchronous and asynchronous work. You have access to a broader pool of talent if you're having remote employees. People can be in different time zones. How do these chief remote officers ensure that people are able to work together when it's time to work together? And when do they have the liberty of setting their own hours and flexibility, whether it's a time difference or not? And I know many organizations that have created these future of work committees. And my suspicion is that organizations that take on this chief remote officer are in fact kind of future of work because I think hybrid and remote is here to stay. And so how are we going to create organizational cultures that are healthy for people to make a contribution? And now I'd like to go to the wellness piece on this. Whether people are in office, home, or a combination of the two, what is it that people need to see? And how might a chief wellness officer be able to step into a role like that? That's really interesting. I want to share just a really quick story that's related to working remotely. And this is an experience I've had a few clients I was doing some career coaching with who are, they're actively interviewing. And I've had a couple people share an experience with me where they did a virtual interview, especially most, I think this is another trend that's here to stay, is that we're not going to see in-person interviews very often, especially in the first round or two. We might eventually have an in-person interview. And I think that's probably when it's doable, a smart move. But it doesn't necessarily need to be the first conversation or two, depending on what the selection process looks like. But I've had a couple people tell me about an experience where they were interviewing with two, I think they were both two people from the company. Maybe one of them was three people and they were not on camera. 
So they were interviewing a candidate for a position in the company. And of course, you can imagine what it's like when you interview. Even when it's virtual, you think about your hair and your face and what you're wearing and your environment and your background, and you're looking to present yourself and you're putting a lot of thought into that, prepared for the interview, you get on, and the people interviewing you are not on camera and you are on camera. Like there's something about the etiquette of how remote work is happening. And I think this is just one example. I was really surprised by that. And I think I would imagine that would be a terrible experience as an interviewee. And I think it just illustrates where you're going that there's red flag. Yeah, that was a red flag to those people who interviewed. They were thinking, well, yeah, I mean, there might be aspects of this job that look really interesting, but that is in the negative column. There's some things that as articulate as I might be in some context, that is recruiting. They have a need. They want somebody to come and do some work for them. And this person has gotten to a stage in the interviewing process where they're actually meeting with these people. And what they're doing is making this person feel uncomfortable. I mean, maybe I'm wrong here, but I would be, listen, unless I can see who I'm speaking with, I'd rather reschedule into a time in which I could. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think that would be a terrible experience as an interviewee. And it's a huge red flag to your point. So I guess all that to say, I think that's an example of where remote work, we do need to organizations that are moving into that hybrid. I believe what you said, it's here to stay. And so how are we going to work differently? This is just a reimagining and a reworking of, so how are we going to work in a way that, yes, we can still feel a sense of belonging in the organization. Yes, we can still collaborate. Again, the data to your point is not showing that those areas are being diminished because people are working remotely. Productivity generally is up when people work remotely. But yes, we do need to think about the way we're working and work a little differently. So that requires, again, openness. It requires being inquisitive and curious and being willing to take that information that's coming from best practices and research, but also coming from your employee base and being willing to change accordingly. Again, do organizations want to have productive, effective, successful employees in order to have a productive and effective and successful business? And so I think part of the challenge is, as you've identified it, is people hold very tightly to what they know. So if they know finance, if they know technology, if they know those sort of harder technical skills, often this is where the emphasis is in organizations. It is not necessarily easy for people who resist the idea of nurturing people to start creating either the roles or the programs in organizations to support people. But I would argue that any future of work initiative needs to start with the people doing the work. Regardless of what the technology is, you still have people doing the work unless you're going to go completely artificial intelligence, which hopefully I don't lose my own job as a coach and facilitator to AI. But I think there's an increasing acknowledgement. There's resistance, but there's an increasing acknowledgement. Where I'm a little apprehensive is in putting roles in senior teams that look good, but that don't have the resources. And I've often heard what matters gets measured. But I think also what matters gets funded. And I've seen challenges in some organizations that have brought on chief diversity officers in order to support more equity, to support belonging and fairness and inclusion. And the resources just aren't there. 
nor is there a comfort or a willingness to get uncomfortable and, as you would say, be open to actually changing the organizational culture to address these issues. So I'm optimistic, but I'm also a little hesitant to be fully optimistic as I see organizations start to grapple with what's missing in the C-suite and what kinds of roles would address it. The last point I'll make on this is, do organizations need new roles and fancy new titles and all of that? Or do they just need to start dealing with the things that are problems and challenges in their organization and not necessarily pin it on one person or one role? Because sometimes I think there's a sort of a knee-jerk reaction. Okay, we need to have this person representing a particular portfolio, but can these tasks be performed without the sort of dog and pony show of, look what we're doing, we've created a new role, whether it's wellness, culture, diversity. That would sort of be a question that I have for organizations that are working to change their culture and to create healthier, happier workplaces. It reminds me of when we started to see sustainability, corporate social responsibility, those types of roles become prevalent in organizations. And then the trend that we started to see was, well, this was more about marketing and communicating to the market, some of the fairly superficial things that organizations were doing, but not necessarily. I interviewed some people in the first season of the podcast who had been in roles like that and ended up leaving them because they didn't feel they were substantive enough. They didn't feel like the organization was really dedicating resources to this is hopefully something that is also shifting. But I think that often happens, especially when a need is identified as a result of some shift that's happening in our broader environment and society. And we want to address it, but are we really willing to change? I want to talk a little bit about the well-being factor and why are we talking about this and why is it so important? Because I think that what we are seeing is employers, for the most part, and organizations are seeing that this is an area, maybe they don't know how to address it just yet, but they know they need to. They know that there's a shift that's happened and it's important. And I think one of the things, I mean, there's a number of different resources that we can draw on here. Gallup has done some really great research in this area. And in fact, in 2021, they actually released something called the Global Emotions Report. I think it was probably the first time that an organization has done something like that. And one of the things that they discovered is that, and this is a global trend, the world is a sadder, angrier, more worried, and more stressed out place than it has been at any point in the past 15 years. And I think to some degree, we all feel this. So many people I've talked to have said, I just don't know what's going on right now. Partly it's the pace of change and its effects from the pandemic, but important to point out that this was a trend before the pandemic. We were already headed in this direction. And in North America, the one stat that stood out the most was that stress was at an all-time high in the year of that study. Again, a trend. This is impacting people at work. Of course it is. It's impacting their productivity. The other thing I would talk about is there's a great TED Talk by a gentleman named Sean Aker, and he wrote The Happiness Advantage. We all put a link to his TED Talk in the notes. One of the interesting things he talks about is 25% of job success is predicted by IQ. So this idea that we're going to have the best and the brightest and the smartest people, and we're going to throw assessments at them to see how smart they are. That's not actually what predicts success anyway. 75% of job success is predicted by the persons, the individual's optimism level, the level of social support that they have. 
and their ability to see stress as a challenge instead of a threat. These are internal indicators. These are things that we, like, how do you improve those things? And by the way, all of those things are related to EQ. They're not related to IQ. And we can measure some of these things with EQ. So there's an EQ assessment that I use in leadership coaching mostly. And part of the EQ assessment has a well-being indicator as part of it. And the competencies are social skills that are measured as part of the well-being indicator are four key areas, self-regard. What is our self-belief system? And are we in a place of good, healthy self-acceptance? Again, optimism. Do we have a general positive outlook and an ability to recover from setbacks and so forth? Interpersonal relationships is another one. And then the fourth is self-actualization, which I don't think of as reaching some meditative state on the summit, but it's actually an ongoing dedication to our own learning, growth, and development that is aligned with our values. So again, all these things are internal things. How does an organization that is concerned about the well-being of their employees tap into that? How do they impact those things? It's not by saying, oh, you can, here's 500 bucks a year to go get massages and a therapist, although therapy is very important. And I think offering these things is helpful. And this is where we comes back to something that you and I have talked a lot about. Leadership development is self-development. How do we help people grow and develop in that way, create environments where they can do that? And with a great deal of sensitivity to that social aspect that's so important. The one last thing I'll say in terms of some stat around this is that when our brains are in a positive state, as opposed to, and I won't go into how this is measured, but this is something, again, that Sean Aker talks about, a positive state as opposed to a negative, neutral, or stressed state, we are 31% more productive. So investing in and understanding where employees are at, how they're doing, is really important to our productivity. Maybe I'll add one more thing. And that is that, again, this is an area that Gallup, as part of their research over the past couple of years, has started to say, this needs to be a key performance indicator. Tracking employee well-being, understanding it, where people are at, are they considering themselves thriving or not thriving, struggling or suffering is the terms that they would use understanding that needs to be a key performance indicator. Well, you, Deborah, had the three episodes that you did with Michael a while back on the neuroscience of leadership. And I've been doing a little bit of reading on this, and I've learned something that touches on everything that you've just talked about that I thought was really fascinating. And I think bodes well for the future of leadership, if only we could get people to understand this and to embrace this, which is Our bodies run basically on a parasympathetic system and a sympathetic nervous system. And when we feel good and when we have happy memories and when we're feeling productive and all of that, we're basically triggering our parasympathetic nervous system. These, to get into the science a teeny bit, trigger the chemicals in our bodies, the endorphins, the things that make us feel or needs to understand what kinds of things they need to say and do in order to create parasympathetic nervous system kicks in and that they do experience positivity in the workplace, that they do have a sense that they're making a contribution, that they're seen, that they're heard, that they matter. 
Because when you're not in that state of mind, when you're anxious about losing your job, when you're not sure if you're going to get all your work done over the course of the day, when you're feeling burnout, you're not going to be able to contribute to the organization in the way either that you want to or that's expected of you. And one of the exercises that I have leaders do when I'm coaching them, and I find this really powerful, is I ask them to imagine a time when they were helped in their career. When does somebody do something for you? That made you feel those things. It made you feel seen and heard and appreciated and helped. And when leaders are able to get to that place, so who did that for you? You then have them experience and share that story is to ask, well, who are the people that you know and who report to you? Are you going to be that person for them? Are you going to be the kind of leader that people remember with fondness for being supported and developed and listened to and heard to? Because If you're not able to be that leader, I don't think that you should actually be leading and stewarding and catalyzing and developing people. I think the ways we traditionally pick leaders who have been technical experts, and I guess I would call them the less emotionally intelligent, are not going to get us to build the kinds of workplaces that people need in order to really be successful and Whether we need a chief wellness officer to promote this, whether we need a chief culture officer, sometimes I come back to the ideas like, what is it that we're trying to solve? Are the people of the organization able to create the conditions that you just described for people to be open, for people to thrive, for people to feel a sense that they matter? When I think of the future of work, to me, that's the most critical aspect. Yes, exactly. And it almost doesn't matter what we call it. It's just the work being done. Is it something that is being paid attention to? And again, this comes back to the conversation I had with Andrew Barnes from Four Day Week. A lot of CEOs aren't compelled by wellness. That's not something that is shifting their thinking. That's not something that they pay, that's going to have them pay attention. But when we talk about productivity, we talk about the bottom line and how this impacts. There is a direct line. There is a direct connection between how people are doing and their sense of belonging and to the bottom line. And we can see that. And part of the great work that Andrew Barnes is doing in Four Day Week is that they're pulling different stats. They're not talking about well-being stats. What they're talking about is, hey, look what happened when we implemented a reduced work week. And they're looking at the metrics of productivity and other factors that show the business actually does better. And so I'm hoping that that starts to seep its way in because it is a shift in mindset as to how we think about our role as a leader and the role of employees and sort of what the difference is between those two things. I think it's really important. So all that to say, there is a shift happening. And I think this is what we're seeing is that organizations are trying to figure out how to respond to it. And one of the reasons why this is so important is that we see rapid change in society, in technology. We are moving into a time of great uncertainty these things will continue. And some of these changes are happening at a rate faster than the human brain is really designed to deal with. And so I think we're really challenged right now. Organizations are challenged. Leaders are challenged with how do we pace out change in our organization that is appropriate for people because we need to bring them along. We can't leave them behind. And do we have the wisdom in the C-suite to do that? Because when we talked about that chief wisdom officer, it's not just about taking care of people, 
It's making decisions at the executive level that are appropriate based on not just data about what's happening in the market and the financial data and shareholders, important data to be sure, but the wisdom comes from other data, emotional data. How are people doing? How are we going to make decisions that are for, that place us for long-term success rather than quarter to quarter looking at quarterly earnings. I think we need to start thinking a lot more long-term and a lot more broadly about what success looks like. We often come back to this where the ways that we've been running industry, the ways we've been thinking about profits had dire consequences for the planet, (laughs) for the air we breathe and everything around species going extinct, people not having the proper nutrition We're in situations where conflict and war is happening around the world. Racism, sexism, ageism, ableism is in some quarters still thriving. The way we've been running things and the way we've brought leaders in to be in the world leading the rest of us hasn't been working. And we do need to make these very profound shifts in how we think about one another, how we think about how we run our organizations. Like the stakes are pretty high at this stage. And we have the knowledge, we have the wisdom, we have the data and the evidence. And with time, I believe we can also have the leaders. And that is my big hope going into 2023, that some of these lessons will be learned. And you and I have been starting to prepare for our big 2023 trends and predictions episode. So we're going to have more to share on that when we podcast again. But how would you like to wrap this up? Like, what are some of your key takeaways or your thinking at this stage after having this conversation? The key for me is there's obviously that to me, this is all indication again, as I said, that there's some sort of gap happening at the senior executive level that we're not paying enough attention to. The pace of change will continue, uncertainty remain and maybe even deepen. And so I don't think organizations have figured this out yet, but at least they're paying attention to it and they realize that this is important. So I think over time, we will start to see this shift. So I'm quite encouraged by that. I mean, I've been ready for this change for quite a long time as you have. So for you and I, it feels like, well, let's get on with it already, but it's starting to happen. And I think with that will come more and more opportunity for people who got into business for the reasons that you and I got into business, because we care deeply And we can see a better way to do things. We care deeply about the experience of people. We want to develop people's potential. We want them to do their best work because ultimately that is better for the business. It's better for the customer. It's better for our world. And I go back to that starts with self. How can we start to help people in their personal development and pay attention to how they're feeling and that sense of belonging and having those social connections and all of those things. Because we are in a less optimistic world, generally speaking. And so I think the other thing is, how do we help people feel a sense of optimism when there is so much that is challenging, that is making it difficult to feel that? So I'm encouraged, but I'm also, I think there's a lot of work to do. And then I think the last thing I'll say is we'd love to hear, connect to our listeners on this. The best way to interact with Lisa and I is connect with us on LinkedIn. And you can always message us there as well. But of course, through our podcast website, at workrevolution.com. And we'd love to hear from you and more on this to come because we are looking at trends for the new year. Thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and give us a review. 
And follow the Work Revolution podcast on Instagram for more great content and updates about our work. In addition to two full episodes a month, we have a monthly Ask Us Anything, where we answer your questions about leadership, career maneuvering, and whatever workplace challenges you're facing. Submit your questions to our website at workrevolutionpodcast.com, where you'll find all our episodes as well as learn more about who we are. Thanks to Bernie at Blue Eye Music for our music theme and to the team at Poditize for production support. Until next time.